Glad to have you here today. You know, Mark was worried with so many of our singles gone to Nashville that they wouldn't have a team up here. Josh, you guys did all right, buddy. You did good. Did good. I'm glad you're here today. I want to just kind of come to you and just say, if you were here last Sunday, there will be no shaving done this morning. There will be no mirrors used in this service. You're safe. So, um, uh, you know, I, this passage of Scripture is one that's it's just I have a fondness for, just in terms of the fact that it's a, about a spirit-filled life. When we, we become Christians, it is, um, really, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us. Scripture is so very clear that one day we don't wake up and decide, okay, I think I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to go to check, cash some checks, I'm going to do this, this, and I think I'll become a Christian today. You know, it's just not a checklist. It is, it is literally an invitation of the Spirit of God to say, I want to work in your life, whether it's like Noah or whether it's like uh, others that we've seen baptized. As a matter of fact, I think next week we've got three more baptisms from our, from our student ministry. Um, and so, you know, it, it's the Spirit of God has spoken into their heart and life and said, I want you. I want you. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. I'm going to come into your life and change your life forever. When we invite him in, he's there to stay. He doesn't just come in, check everything out, and then leave. He's there to stay. The, the, the fact that God can be everywhere, his spirit comes to live with you. And so um, people say, well, you know, it's, it's um, you know, the idea of, of uh, it's good to be in God's house. Well, God's house is right here if you know Christ. You don't have to walk into a building. God's house is here. The temple of God walks out the door with you every day if you know Christ Jesus as you go your way this week he's he goes with you and his spirit lives within you that life though should be lived out every day if you drive off this parking lot today and think okay I've done my religious duty I don't have to do anything more um, I don't have to be different or be changed you have missed the whole point if you pull on to, to highway 50 or seven hills or wherever you go from this place and think all right you know, I'm, I, I got everything done. I need to get done there at church. And uh, my, my religious duty is over. You have missed the point. He's, Christ has come into your life to change you. He's come into your life to make you different, to make you better, to make you more like him. And um, having said that, I had a conversation with one of our staff members a month or so ago. And we're just talking about Christians and people in general and, and um, people that we uh, were with and they just mentioned, they said, you know, I worked at another place, and um, as I worked there, I, you know, there were some people at work one day that just, I was floored, because uh, this particular person was just kind of contentious, they just, uh, yeah, mad and angry about everything, they just, they could fly off the handle at a moment's notice, no, no patience, just, um, just people did not want to be around them, um, they were they horrible work attitude, you know, about work, not the best work ethic either. Uh, and actually kind of, this particular person was a man. He was a little bit flirty with the women. He was a married man. You know, just kind of out there and inappropriate with women. She said, and then to my horror, I discovered he called himself a Christian. And the comment was, that ought not be. And I said, that's right, it ought not be. We ought to be the best people in the marketplace and the workplace. People ought to know that we are different inside and out. And the Christian life should be lived out in a, in a very positive way. I went out to my garden this morning, and, and i I got to do, do something, okay? I, yeah, I'm visual. I hope you are too. So I went out to my garden this morning, and I picked some, some tomatoes. There's my tomatoes I picked right there. 
These are um, nice grape tomatoes. Got another one here. Boy, they're looking sad already. Um, but what, what those ought to look like, what those ought to look like is right here. These grape tomatoes, ripe and ready. A fruit that's what it ought to be. It ought to be beautiful. It ought to be ready. Um, somebody said the, the intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to cut it up and put it in a fruit salad. So, um, but what God wants in your life is this. What he wants you to see in you is, is, is full-blown fruit. Something beautiful. Something wonderful. Something that can be used. Now, you know, this, this uh, is, is not what this is. And, and so the Bible says literally in our lives, we can contrast our lives. And Paul says this here in Galatians in two ways. There, there are the works of the flesh, the deeds of flesh, and then there is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And what will it be in you? You've got a choice. Now, there's a sense of choice that when you come to know Christ, what you say to him is, Lord Jesus, I, w- I do want to change my life. I want you to come in and just give me direction and purpose. I want you to make me different from the inside out. I want people to see a better, a, 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 not just a better me. I want them to see you in me as I live life. Well, that's what he calls us to do and be. He doesn't say, okay, get your life all figured out and then I'll love you. He says, no, I want to come into your life and help you change it. I already love you. I already love you enough that I died for you on the cross. I paid the penalty. I, I paid it for you. It, that's done. I love you. But if you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to listen to me, I want to change you and make you more like me in terms of that. And so as Paul lists these elements of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to back up to verse 16 that we were on last week just a little bit. And um, he says this, and, uh, and I'll, I'm going to stop just a couple times to make some notes. But Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. So these two are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But you are led by the Spirit, and you're not under the law. Let me stop there a moment. What he says is this. When you begin the Christian life and and with Christ in you, the Spirit in you, boy, throughout the New Testament, well over a thousand times, I think the notes I saw about 1,400 times that phrase, either Christ in you, the hope of glory, um, like in Galatians 8, or or, or for, for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation found in Corinthians. All those phrases, in Christ, Christ in you, 1,400 times that phrase is used. That the, the truth is this, that Christ in you is always working out the flesh and producing fruit. It's taking what's bad and it's making it better. and It's making you and I better people for it. There's a constant battle. It's a spiritual battle. Satan does, number one, he doesn't want you to get saved. And by saved, I mean the, the devil does not want you to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He does not want you to know that you can know forgiveness from sin, a new life in him, and heaven is your home one day. He does not want you to know that. And then after you know that, here's what he wants to do. He wants you to keep you quiet. Do not tell anybody else about your faith. Let's not spread this thing around, says Satan. I don't want to know. And and another thing he wants to do is he wants to keep you ineffective. And the way he does that is he helps you, he keeps you living in the flesh and not producing fruit in the Spirit of God. Not letting God's Spirit bear fruit in you. How does that happen? It happens because as Christians, 
it is on, it's possible to just sort of say, okay, I accepted Jesus, I'm doing that, he's there a little bit, but, and he tells me every once in a while to do some things, but I'm just not going to do, I just, you know, I'm, I'm really busy with my life, and I don't have time to do all these things, and we don't grow. And we don't grow as we should. Now, there are some that read this and go, I'm on. I'm all in. I'm ready to go. Many of our students that went to student life camp know what it was like that week to hear kind of that, this whole thought poured into them. And they came back saying, we want to live life different in our schools, in our places we go. And the truth is, Christians should be those kind of Christians that want to live life different. They want to live by the Spirit. But Paul says this, however, in verse 19, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, immoral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Wow. Does that not sound like the local news? Does that not sound like it's right off of CNBC in terms of what's going on in the world around us? A world that's fractured and falling apart. A world that's divided amongst anything you can divide people over. We're divided, we're angry, we're mad, we're, we're, we're all about me. We live in that world, and Paul's saying, don't do that. He says, matter of fact, uh, I, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When he says practice, what he really means is that those who, who live in this kind of life and have no remorse for it, have no desire to change, then they never knew that Jesus in the first place. They never knew the Spirit of God that could live in them because that Spirit, when He lives in you, says, hey, I want to change you. I want to make you better. I want to, make, I want to give you a future and a hope. I don't want you to worry anymore. Um, one of the privileges, just actually right before COVID, I had, a, I had to lead a young gal to Christ. And um, after the, the next week when she came back and we were talking, I was actually doing some premarital counseling. And she said, I want to tell you something. She said, from this point up in my life, and she was in her early 20s, she said, I feared going to sleep at night because I thought I might die. I was afraid of death. She said, I didn't know where I'd go. I was afraid. I was scared. Death just, there was just I just had this fear that gripped me. But since praying that prayer and asking Jesus to come into my heart, she said, I have slept like a baby. Now, since then, she's had a baby, and she knows not all babies sleep real good, but, you know, but her point was, she said, I, I, I just talked to her a couple days ago. She said, absolutely. She said, when I trusted Jesus, those doubts, those fears, those worries, those outside pressures, I could just place them on his shoulders and say, God, you bear these for me. You help me along the way. You be the one that, that gives me strength and comfort. Boy, she said, when I did that, I, have, I, just, I don't worry anymore. I don't, it's on him. My security, my hope, my future's on him. I said, praise God, what, what, what a peace to have. For those of us that kind of grew up in, in homes where we accepted Christ early, we don't often realize how, how real and genuine and freeing he is for those who come to know him later in life and go, I don't have to live the old way, I can live the new way. And that's why Paul says that. But then he says this about the old life. He presses on to the new life, the life in the Spirit, verses 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. 
And so as Paul closes out this chapter, he closes it with the idea of the fruit of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And um, I, we printed, I printed up for you some, some notes that kind of uh, sum that up. And I, I apologize. We, these are, did not get right in your notes, and it's my fault. So um, there was a sheet like this out there that kind of contrasts the works of the flesh and work of the Spirit. You're welcome to pick one up if you, you're a Bible student and want to look at it later. But I want you to see with me how they, they real, there, there, there are some compare and contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit in a couple different ways. And if we're to walk in the Spirit, we're going to live this fruitful life. So as Paul begins, um, he says this about, Now the works of the Spirit are the flesh, are obvious. And he lists three, three things uh, that he begins with. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. The words that describe sexual immorality are words that um, talk about that eros kind of love, that, that self-gratifying kind of love. It's the kind of love that, that can, um, you know, is really, is really about me being satisfied. Um, it's the, the word for moral impurity is also words used like for the word pornography, you know, that twisted kind of love. Um, it, it's a misrepresented kind of love. It's an airbrushed kind of love that says if you look like this or you do these things, you'll be loved. We've got a world starving for love. The promiscuity that says, um, I, I've got to put myself out there in order to be loved. I've got to perform for other people in order to be loved. I've got to do what they want. and I'll do whatever I, I want to, to to maybe even sell my own body to be, to be loved by others. It's that song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. I'm just a lonely heart looking for love. And those elements of that, that kind of love are really a twisted love. And I call those loves, and I've just kind of grouped them here. And this is not a perfect grouping. It just made sense to me. Those are kind of a sexual kind of sins. They're sins that distort love and twist it and make it what it's not. Um, but what Paul says is the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists the word love there, a love, a godly kind of love, a love that is genuine, what true fruit of the Spirit. It, love is born of that that is powerful. You know, Jesus said that the Ten Commandments could be summed up in two different verses. One, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That those commandments, that law could be fulfilled in love. But a genuine, self-giving, others-thinking, you know, uh, an idea, uh, that, kind of, that kind of love that considers others first, that kind of love that considers God's way and God's plan first, is a fruit of the Spirit. These others are against that. The immorality, and I, I tell you, the last thing I'd want to be is, is, a, is a teenager or, or a student today or a young adult. I, the pressures on you guys are amazing to me. Um, the world we live in says, if you do this, then you'll be happy, if you'll do that. Uh, if you look this way, if you'll dress this way, I, I, I wouldn't want to be that anymore. I, it, was, it was tough enough in, in my day. Um, but I'm going to tell you, it's worth it. As, you know, I'm 65 years old, so I'm an old guy. You know, I, but all I got to say, I was, I was the 60s child. You know, I was born in 56. So, I mean, back in the 1960s, that was a crazy generation. Um, talk about drugs and free love and culture and whatever. But, I, you know, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. Joni is the only woman I've ever slept with. I didn't want another. I was willing to take the difficult path and be faithful to the Lord and faithful to her. It wasn't easy. I had the same hormones you do. But you can do it. You can be faithful. Adults, 
you can be faithful. I'm sometimes surprised at people that after they are done, you know, the first marriage may end the divorce, they have problems or whatever, and they think, hey, the second one doesn't matter, I can do what I want. Not true. God wants purity now as much as ever in, in this world. He wants us to live pure life, chaste life for Him. And if you've had the experience of struggling with that, you may not be able to, you can't go back and erase the past, but you can become pure and whole again in Jesus Christ. My word tells me, His word tells me I can become pure again. We can get those sins forgiven and cleansed and move forward into a, a fruitful life with the spirit of love. But not only love, um, there, there's, those are, there's a sense of love and joy and peace. And I'm calling that kind of a spiritual fruit in that it's a, God, a Godward kind of fruit. It's a fruit that looks to God and says, I don't want self-love. I don't want a love that's erotic and that's, that's, just, that's uh, kind of uh, self-satisfying, that just gets worse and worse and worse, that never satisfies it. I have to go to the next thing and feel the next thing or do the next thing. Uh, this is a kind of love that's genuine. And not only is it a love, it's a love that brings joy. A love that brings joy, a love that matures, and there's a sense of joy down deep that I am loved, and because I'm loved by Him, I want to love others. And it's a, it's, a, it's a love that brings peace. A peace in life that just doesn't compare to the peace in the world. A peace in life that doesn't compare to any food you can eat or thing you can do. It's a peace in life that says, God, I'm going to walk with you through it. Uh, Joni's mama, we've been walking with her through a you know, pretty serious cancer. She's had one surgery, now she's going this next week for treatments. She's 85. Went to her doctor's appointment the other day, and she, the doctor said to her, I think, I think we can get this. I want you to do radiation treatments. Here's what we're going to do. And she said to him, I want you to be honest with me, doctor. If, if this is going to cause me intense suffering and anguish and pain if this is going to be an ongoing thing where i'm going to medicine becomes the monster and i'm going to be on chemo and all these kind of things i'm going to not enjoy my life and be able to enjoy my kids and grandkids and great grandkids i don't want it i'm ready to go home to be with the lord because i know jesus is my savior my husband's up there my family's up there waiting for me i'm ready but if this will give me another quality of life, a quality of life here on earth, and I can be with my family that I have now, and I can love on them a little bit longer, make it to 90 and maybe to 100, then I'm willing to take that treatment. Which is it? And he said, I believe that we can get you the kind of treatment that will help you have a quality of life that you can enjoy easily five years and maybe more. But I'm glad to know that you know where you're going if you were to die. Now that's peace. That's a love, joy, and peace that, that doesn't make sense. And that's a peace we can share with others and we can tell others about. But it's a spiritual kind of fruit that says, my God is enough. My God satisfies me. You know, if you've, uh, one of the things I'd talk about in, in premarital counseling or any kind of counseling, if Jesus isn't first place in your life, you're out, of, you're out of whack with love. The first person in your life that you should love is Jesus Christ. I love my wife. I love my kids and my grandkids. But Jesus has got to be first. He never changes. He doesn't get cancer. He doesn't go away tomorrow. He was there yesterday. He's here today. And he'll be here forever. Jesus is the wisdom, the peace, and the hope that I have and that you can have, that you have too. I will let my family down. I will let my wife down. I am not perfect. And as I get older, I forget things, you know. But the truth is, I have a Savior who doesn't change, who loves me perfectly. 
And when I love him first, I can love others best. You know that? When I love him first, I can love others best. Love, joy, peace that comes only from him. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And then we see, I think, some things as he moves down the works of the flesh category. He says this, there's idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, of course, is putting anything before God. It's creating even a physical being that we could worship. But it's, it's more than that. Idolatry can be anything I worship and I love better than God. Whether it's a, a mobile device, whether it's a, check, you know, a phone or money, or whether it's um, anything, cars, houses. What is it that we put above God that we almost worship? You know, um, I heard somebody say the other day, so-and-so, they said, you know, they had to talk to somebody who, one of their family members, and I said, first thing I do is get up in the morning and worship the altar of Facebook. And I said, whoa, that's, that's pretty tough, you know. But their point was, they had to check Facebook before they check anything else. They had to be able, you know, they had to do, and, and rather than be in the Word, they were, they were more worried about Facebook. And, and uh, you know, the truth is we have a God that says, I want to be number one in your life. No other idols before me. And sorcery is kind of that thing that, you know, the, the, there is, this is a battle against, not just against flesh and blood, not against, you know, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual battle. Satan, as I said, would love to keep you from being effective as a Christian. He would. He doesn't want you being effective. He doesn't want you being happy. He doesn't want you displaying love, joy, peace, patience. Not at all. He wants you to be ineffective and angry and all kinds of things. Because of that, he will do what he can to trip you up. He will trip you up in every way. And so he will use things. And so when we begin to dabble with even things like sorcery or, or, or mediums or, or fortune tellers, or, I mean, they're out there. Uh, not that long ago, I prayed with one of our members who was praying with a very good friend who was going to cont- contact a fortune teller about some dead family member. And before he could get to them, we prayed for them, prayed for this individual. Before he could really kind of get back, he said, too late, I already talked to him. He said, I have to tell you, I've not been able to sleep for weeks. He said, just the haunting feelings of that, that kind of a dark battle that's going on with me, with being in that place and with that person, um, we, we need to be careful with what we do. There are evil forces about that would love to, to come center stage, that would love to be first place in your life rather than God. God said there's no place for that. Not idolatry, not sorcery, not dealing with those kind of things. You know, when, when you read your Bible, whenever that kind of thing came about, whether it was Saul in the Old Testament, it was not met with good. We need to be very real and know that there are things around us that are evil and that, that love evil. And there are, you know, there, are, there are books and movies and all kinds of things that talk about the kind of the flirt with evil. The truth is God says, don't do it. It's not worth it. It leads, to, it leads to a life that is imperfect. It leads to a life that's unfulfilled. But then he says not only of that, the, those spiritual sins that are against God, he says that there are what I'm calling social sins in terms of the works of the flesh. The works of the, the, works of the flesh and those social sins begins with this. He said there's hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy. And those are the social sins that keep us from getting along with each other. And the Bible says there's no place for that. Those are the deeds of the flesh. Those are things that come when when we're all about me and not about anybody else. And I am so grateful that Jesus wasn't all about him. But he thought about you and he thought about me. Even as he hung on that cross, he could say, Father, forgive them because they're clueless. As he hung and died for you and died for me. 
We had a Savior who could relate to people. And God says, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, here's what gets to happen for you. When you let the Spirit work out in your life, I believe there's some relational fruit. And the relational fruit that comes, we look in that, that area of the fruit of the Spirit, is this. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. When we let the Spirit operate in our lives, the things are present for us to get along with Family and friends. Now, there may be some folks around us that are just downright ornery and disagreeable. We can smile at least and go our own way. But it will help us get along with folks that are different than us. It'll help us get along. We, we live in a world right now that's so fractured. It is so fractured. If, you know, we, we'll, we'll find anything that can divide us, whether it's, it's, it's race or skin color or what kind of truck you prefer to drive, who knows what. I mean, we, we, we just find ourselves divided all kinds of different places. And God says, no, the fruit of my spirit is this. You work together. You work together for my good. You work together for my glory. You exhibit patience with each other. You exhibit a kindness that sometimes doesn't make sense, but you're kind to other people. You exhibit a, a goodness and a faithfulness. Boy, you know, if there's any of these fruits that I want to see developed in my life is that goodness and faithfulness, not only to God, but to others around me. I am so far from perfect. Oh, I'm so far from perfect. But I, want to, I, want to leave, I really want to live a good life, a life that is faithful to God, a life that's, that's, that at least others can say, you know what? He lived it. He lived it. Didn't always do it perfectly. When he needed to get forgiveness, he got it. But he lived it out in front of the world that he lives in. And because of that faithfulness, there will be a gentleness, I think, that comes about with us, a gentleness that's, that's um, evident to all of us. I, uh, and for me, I, I, gotta, I have to tell you, I think that gentleness is harder sometimes these days in, in the way that, uh, especially there's something about my, our grandkids that just, um, I love them, but um, there is, I, I, they can just make, tear a house up in a heartbeat. I'm just telling you. I, I walked in the house the other day, and, I, and like socks and boots in the entryway, you know, and toys everywhere. And, and, and a, a, uh, I don't know what condition the diaper was in, but several pulled off diapers in the hallway, you know, these new pull-up things they got, kids got, and they change in and out of. And I said to Joni, I guess the grandkids have been here, you know. Um, and I, if I'm not careful, I can be so, um, I, I need to be gentle, um, because th- th- there are times when they look at you and they go, no, I'm not doing that. And I want to go, oh, yeah? You know, I'm the papa. You're the grandkid. This is going to happen. But they will fight tooth and nail. And there's a part of me that says, whoa, slow it down. Be gentle. Be firm. Be loving. Speak the truth. But do it in gentleness. I'm working on that one. And we all, I think that all of us have a fruit we need to work on. Matter of fact, I've challenged you at the end to, to be a member of the Fruit of the Month Club. There's only nine fruits of the Spirit. You've got 12 months, you know, work on it. You can do it. The Fruit of the Month Club. What, God, what will you work on me this month? And be that kind of faithful Christian. But as we have that kind of a relational fruit born in our life, we exemplify Jesus Christ. It's not the hatreds, the strife, the jealousy, the outbursts, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. It is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness. And then lastly, Paul stops to, or with the lit deeds of the flesh by saying um, that there are some that I, th- I think are kind of personal sins. And I say personal because often they're, they're against ourselves, but they do affect others. 
Those personal things are like drunkenness, and whether it's called carousings, or sometimes it's called debauchery in certain passages of Scripture. The drunkenness is exactly that. It's that, uh, it's that, it's the, the, the heart that says, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ignore life, and I'm just gonna anesthetize myself to the pain. And I think that's the saddest part sometimes what happens. People anesthetize themselves to the pain, whether it's alcohol or prescription drugs or illegal drugs, whatever. They just, life is too tough to live. Life, their, their past is way too painful. And so they just need some sort of anesthetic to get them through that pain and live life and never truly deal with the problem. We need to deal with the problem, deal with the hurt, deal with the heartache. But Satan would love to keep you chained. He would love to keep you bound. He doesn't want you set free to live a life that has hope and future. He'd love to keep you bound up. And drunkenness is one of those Paul speaks of. The other one, carousings or, or debauchery, um, is kind of a, it, it's, it's, it's living the self, incredibly self-centered sort of party life. Uh, matter of fact, it, it references is almost to a drug culture, orgies is kind of the things it talks about. Um, it's the kind of life sometimes you see in movies where these, you know, these meth houses where people are just laying around totally on drugs. They're oblivious to everything and anybody, and they are just checked out. And that kind of carousing, that kind of debauchery, that kind of life that says, I can't deal with life anymore. I've got the only way I can deal with it is through this medication or this thing that will cost me ultimately not only just money but my life. It's the kind of thing that makes people steal from their grandmothers. It's the kind of thing that will lead people to lose homes and cars and marriages and families because of, of that kind of thing. And the truth is, Paul says, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the deeds of the flesh. That's the deeds of the flesh. Those, and they may be personal sins, but ultimately they'll be sins that are bigger, sins that will affect you. And, um, and so what uh, he talks about in the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is the life that's kind of that last fruit. The, la- the fruit that begins with love, the last fruit is self-control. A life lived in control that says, God, I want you in charge of my life, not mine. God, I want you to direct me, not me. God, I want your spirit to work through me, and I want people to see not, not me as a better person. I want them to see Jesus in me. I want them to see Jesus Christ living out through me. And so when they say to me, wow, how'd you deal with that? I can honestly say, you know what? What me? It was God helping me through that. That's how it happened. That's how it happened. A life of self-control, a life that's not given over to to anesthetizing yourself to the pain, a life that's not giving over to doing what everybody else wants you to do, performing for them or doing what they want, a life that's willing to say, God, I want you first in my life. I want to be self-controlled. I want the Spirit to control me, and I want the Spirit to work through me in such a powerful way. You know, again, as Jesus talked about the Ten Commandments, he talked about the love that needs to happen for God and fellow man. And that's why I think the first fruit is love. And I think the epitome of all those fruits together come that's a life that's lived in self-control. We, we, we control because, not because, again, we become good, but because we, we check with God first. We say, Lord, how can I deal with this problem? How can I deal with this situation? God, would you help me? Analogy I've used before, and I just, I just think it's perfect, is the analogy of the harbor pilot. Um, most major ports, matter of fact, I was, was in Tampa not long ago and discovered that even in Tampa they have what's called a harbor pilot, but especially Portland, Oregon area. 
Uh, the Columbia River is 100 miles from the ocean all the way to Portland, so that entire river is, is, is a route for the big ocean-going ships to go into port in Portland. And um, the, the, the ocean-going captains um, do not know all the intricacies of that river, how they've changed or what's going on. And so they, they must hire, if their boats are big enough, um, what they call a harbor pilot. And that harbor pilot is somebody who's been trained on the particular harbor that they're in. They know the depth. They know the areas where there's sandbars. They know where the current's flowing. They know temperature. They know tides. They know everything about that harbor. They've checked it out that day. They know what to expect in terms of weather. They, that's, that's their expertise. So that harbor pilot will join this big ship at the ocean, and he will guide that boat all the way to the harbor, in the, in the case of Portland, 100 miles away, in the case of Maine, through the harbor, in the case of Tampa, through kind of that harbor there until it goes to dock some three or four miles away, the harbor pilot is the one that helps guide it. But the interesting thing about the harbor pilot is this. He doesn't touch the controls of the ship. The captain of the ship is still in charge. One of the reasons for these harbor pilots is many a bridge has been taken out by an ocean-going vessel because they didn't know the, the, the problems with storms and things that can happen and, and being up against some of those big piers on those bridges. They know where to steer and where to go and where the tide will take them. And so that's one of the reasons they require a harbor pilot to get them in. He knows what they don't know. But he doesn't touch the controls. He tells them, now, up here, here's what you've got. And you're going to have to stay far to the right, and then you're going to swing to the left, and we're going to go this way, and then we're going that way. You can go this fast or this way. He tells them what to do. And that's what happens in, our, in your life and my life. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and just take over. He doesn't just say, okay, get out of the way. Now I'm in charge. Uh, I got this. The Holy Spirit says this, I'm here to help you. I'm here to tell you how to navigate the waters ahead of you. And here's what I want to say to you. Here's where you need to offer love. Here's where you're going to find joy. Here's where you're going to have trouble, and here's how you can deal with it. And he's going to navigate, and you, it's up to you to obey his commands. It's up to you to live your life. You're not just mindless and somehow let God take over. You know, a lot of great songs written about that. God just takes over. Jesus take the wheel and all that good stuff, you know. Truth is, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He comes to live so that he can give you guidance, and you do the living. That's why it's called spirit-filled living. That's why he wants to live through you. And when we let him live through us and we obey him, we'll see fruit. Not green fruit, but beautiful fruit. We'll see fruit in our lives because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the fruit that's ahead of us. That's a powerful thing. That's what God wants in your life and mine. And so I ask this question. And let me just let me finish your notes with you on the back of your page there um, with, these, with these thoughts. God calls us to freedom in Christ. He calls us to freedom in Christ from the penalty and the power of sin. We can have that freedom, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from its power in our life. And Jesus commands us to love one another with a godly love. And so exemplify the Christian life. Love one another with a godly love. Thirdly, God's Spirit challenges us to abandon self-centered living. Living for yourself. Instead, He calls us to walk responsibly in His holiness. Bearing good fruit. How can I do, you do that? Obviously, it's going to happen in your quiet time, in your prayer time. 
You can do that by reading God's Word and knowing what the fruits of the Spirit are and how you can live that. You can get your direction from Him daily right here. You can get your, obviously the, the church is here to encourage you, but it's what you live each and every day that's going to make the biggest difference through God's Word. You can be involved in a life group here, and that will help, certainly. But I also challenge you, be as bold and as brave to say, God, I want to be a member of the Fruit of the Month Club. And I want you to work out a fruit in me this month. And I want to start, I'd love to start with this fruit. Reveal to me maybe even a fruit you'd like me to start with. And I want to have more, and I won't say it, but, you know, like patience. You ask for that, look out. But give him permission to develop one of these fruits in your life, and he'll change you. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for those who are here. God, there may be one who's here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord Jesus, if they don't know you, they don't, they, there's no hope for them to ever know the fruit of a fruitful life. There's no hope for them to know true love, true joy, true peace. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray you would convict the, someone here this morning. And not only convict them, but you would convince them what they need to do. They just need to admit to you, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner, and I've sinned, and I've fallen short of God's glory. I can't measure up to God. I have no hope. But God, I, I, I want them to know that there is hope in Jesus. And if they'll admit to him their sin, they'll admit to him their need for a Savior to save them from their sin, they can receive the gift of salvation. They can receive a gift of new life, of freedom from the old way, and a, and a wonderful walk in a new life in the fruit of your Spirit. I pray they would invite you to come in to live in their life, to change them, set them free from their sin, and set them free to live a new life by committing their life to you. Then they do that now. But Father, for the Christians in this room, that we would not leave this place. We wouldn't walk out the doors. We wouldn't drive down these streets without thinking, God, help me be you this week in the world I live in, in the neighborhood I live in, in the family I live in, in the, in, in the marriage I'm in. Father, help me be you. May I live out your faithfulness. May I live out your joy and happiness and contentment and peace. Father, help me be you in the marketplace and wherever I go so that people might not only see Jesus in me, but they want the Jesus I have. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.